Well, it is a good day to be in church. Yes, yes it is. Man, we're so glad we want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Can we give a huge welcome to our Branchville facility, guys? Good morning, gentlemen. Just so proud of those guys, man. They do some incredible worship and, and just the state of mind that they have being in there and what God is doing in a Branchville campus. Just love each and every one of them. If you're a guest here with us in the pocket, in front of you, man, there's a little card. You can take it, scan it, fill out some information. We've got a free gift for you. Man, my name is Daryl. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Now, how many of you know students and kids are a big deal around this church? If you didn't know that, uh, you might have realized that we packed you into here so that we could have room for kids uh, everywhere else. And students and our youth ministry took off Wednesday night again this Wednesday night. Uh, from 6.30 to 8 p.m., have your students here. But here's one thing. How many of you grew up in a day and a time where your parents told you what to do? How many of you feel like we're gravitating the other way? Look, do not ask your kids if they want to go to camp. Send your kids to camp. You need the break. Okay? And they need the Jesus. Okay, my life was radically transformed at a camp. Your, your kid's life will be radically transformed at a camp. You can sign your kids up for camp at hillschurch.info today. We've only got a few spots left in a few weeks to get it done. So here's the other part that I'm going to ask. There are many people in our church and some that don't come to our church but want to go to camp with us. The price is $2.99. If you can sponsor a student to go to camp, just stop by the info desk, tell them back there or in the offering, just mark it as camp scholarship, drop it by. God bless you for doing that already. Now you might've noticed my beautiful pianist back over there. <laughs> Did we practice it over here? Were you over here earlier? I don't know what, okay. This is nuts. Okay, I'm losing my mind. Last week, we started a new series called Things Jesus Never Said. And why would a church talk about that? If you're not new to reading the Bible, maybe, maybe you haven't read the Bible in a long time, the words of Jesus are often written in red. But to understand what Jesus said, we want to talk about some of the things he didn't say to put into better perspective what he did say. And one of the things that Jesus clearly did not say, which we're going to talk about today, is do what makes you happy. Which is why he's been playing Pharrell's Happy since I started. Are you going to be over there next service? Okay. Let's just get this right for the people watching at home so I don't feel foolish next service. These red letters are found in the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the purpose of this series is to find the true power of these words and in these statements. And when we're talking about these statements, is to help understand what he said through what he did not say. Sometimes it's more powerful by what he did not say. Some of the things I know that Jesus did not say about our own happiness is one of this. Go into all the world... And preach whatever makes you feel happy. He didn't say that. There are preachers who will do that. 
I'm not one of them. There should have been an amen, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, I'll talk to myself this morning. Jesus did not say, whoever wants to be my, my disciple must affirm themselves, avoid the cross, and follow their own hearts. Another point of amen. amen. <laughs> Jesus does say, ask and it will be given to you, but he doesn't say, ask and it will be given to you the cars you ask for, the house you ask for, the money, the hot boyfriend you ask for, Right? God's not up there as the celestial sugar daddy <laughs> waiting to bless you with, with all the things you ask for. He's, he's not a genie. God doesn't say that about your own happiness. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with John chapter 8, and we're going to be talking through a long story today. And I want to bring you an understanding, a powerful application at the end of what Jesus did not say. Because if we understand what Jesus did not say in this story, right, I believe that it will radically transform your life. And it's in John chapter 8, starts in verse 2. We're going to read a ton of scripture today. If uh, you have a hard time reading, lean over to the person next to you and tell them to repeat uh, what I told you. <laughs> in verse 2, it says this. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Let's just pause there for a minute. I want you to visualize with me what's happening now is that these Pharisees, these religious people have caught this woman in the act of adultery and they've brought her in to the court. Okay. I've been to this court and, and it's like a square. It's about the size of this room. And she'd been brought in there. And, you know, what I want you to notice is that as she's been brought in, she's humiliated. She's been brought in, caught in the act. So inevitably she's brought in half-dressed. And if we had time to go through the theology of the moment, I want you to notice two people who are missing from being brought in. Notice that there is no man caught in the act of adultery with her. Notice that the peeper who found them is missing. He was not caught and brought forth. Only the woman caught. She's at the lowest point in her life at this point, being dragged in front of the church, right? Because this is a church square that they're being brought in. So imagine us bringing a half-naked woman to judge her right here in front of everybody. So what happens is she's sitting there, right? She's at her lowest point, right? And these men do not care about this woman at all. The people who have dragged her in, she's just a pawn in the grand scheme of this story. She's just a tool that they want to use to see how Jesus is going to react. So let's continue back in our story. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? What do you say? And here's what the Bible says. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a bias for accusing him, Jesus. Now it's complicated here because Jesus knows the law of Moses. He knows that according to the law of Moses, this woman 
is guilty and she deserves to be stoned. That is the law of Moses. But if Jesus agrees to that, he loses the term of loving Savior. Yet if he condones her adultery, right, he becomes a sinner. So he's stuck in the middle. He's in a very weird place. He's, he, he's in a scenario where he can't win. And some of you, you put Jesus, some of us even put Jesus in a point like this, where he can no longer save us because the law is where it is and it's supposed to be. We're condoned by the law of Moses, right? Yet we're doing things that are sketchy. We're watching things we shouldn't watch. Some of the things that people come up and tell me they watch, I'm like, I don't know if you expect me to like join you, but I, I don't watch those things. You know, it's funny, I, I, and I'm not condoning. Just don't tell me. It's okay if you watch it, you know, you'll go to hell, but I don't want to know. <laughs> Makes me feel better as your pastor. But somebody's like, hey, did you watch that last Game of Thrones? I was like, No. No, I did not watch that. Why would I watch that? There's half-naked people in there. The only half-naked thing I want to see in this whole world is my wife. <laughs> That's it. Everybody else is off limits. If you come around half-naked, I have them cover you before we talk. Even if you're losing your mind, I'm like, put some clothes on them, then we'll talk. Right? So Jesus agreed to letting them stone her. Right? He would lose his reputation for being a loving savior, but if he lets her go, he's condoning her behavior. So what is Jesus going to do in a no-win situation? Verse 8 tells us what happens. It says this, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Well, what did he write? Many of us know this story. It's through later manuscripts, okay? He started to write things, okay? The Greek word is graphen, means to write things down. And katagraphen means, okay, to write against someone. So the words graphen, he was graphing things down, right? And he was katagraphing. He was writing things he knew and things he didn't or things that people didn't know that he knew. Right, so here's what he starts writing. He leans in the ground and sees a guy in the group named Henry. That's a totally made up name. That's, that's not in the Bible anywhere. He starts writing down, Henry, I saw your Google search history last night. Uh, uh, Henry, your friend, you, you look lustfully over here and I, I heard you talk bad about this person. And he starts writing down everybody's sins around him and perhaps he's writing down some of the sins of the accusations, the people who are accusing her. He starts to write down their sins as well. So the story goes on, and when they kept questioning Jesus, he straightened up, right? Because now he's writing on the ground. So imagine this, he's been painting all their sins on the ground. They're all like trying to scribble their name out with their foot. <laughs> They're like, that's not me. I don't know who Henry is, but that's not me. That's the other Henry on the other side of this mob, right? And in verse 7, it says this, when they kept on questioning him, Jesus, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the first stone. Let he who is without sin, and the Bible translation doesn't just say who is without sin, it says who is also without wanting to sin. That's a big distinction there. That's a big difference. Big difference between let he who is without sin, and also let he who is without wanting to sin. 
right? I don't know about you, but I, I have not sinned before, but wanted to sin before. How many of you have ever been there? The rest of you are liars, <laughs> right? You're like, literally, it means not even wanting to sin, pick up. A stone. So there were people there who had not sinned in a while, who had been to the purification process, who had gone through the whole thing, and they hadn't sinned in that moment. And Jesus going, no, 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 not just the person who has sinned, but the person who has even thought about sinning or even wanted to sin, even though you didn't. If you wanted to sin, you can't throw a stone. Now, that would take out just about everybody in the group. Right? Nobody could stone this woman based on that. So how many of you know it's so easy to see the sin in other people? Where is it hardest to see the sin? In yourself. Man, I am like lightning fast at finding sin in other people. I'm great at it. You should ask me. You should ask me. If you ever think you have sin in your life, just come ask me. I'll tell you. I'll be like, oh, yeah, here, here, and here. I'll list them all out. They're like, Pastor Joe, you struggle? I'm like, no way. Not a bit. Never a day in my life. I have been perfect. Perfect. Since you met me. Right? Because it's so much easier to point it out in somebody else's. And I'm so fast at, at pointing it out on other, other people. But in myself, it's hard to see. I can remember being back in high school and I told a story about the prom uh, last time. And, and I'll continue that story because it was just a heyday of an evening. And uh, I had just been become a follower of Jesus. And when you first get saved, how many of you know one of your first jobs when you first get saved is to go tell everybody that's not saved that they're going to hell? Right? Like that's your first job. So I was going around telling everybody in school, it's like, you're going to hell and you're going to hell. If you don't repent now, you're going to hell. And it's like, I didn't understand the grace part and I didn't want to long suffering. I didn't want to live life with people. I just want to tell everybody they're going to hell. So I was going around telling everybody they're going to hell. And, uh, our friends got together and uh, there were 10 of us going to this prom together. And they're like, Hey, Daryl is trustworthy. He is a Christian. Okay, we'll give our $50 each to him to rent the limo. So we had $500 to rent a limo for the night. And so I was a new Christian, so they give me the $500, and I'm walking past one of my greatest weaknesses in the world is Taco Bell. <laughs> and on my way home, I had $500 in my pocket, and I'm like, surely I can just take a little bit of this money, and it won't be that big of a problem. So, you know, back in the day, you could get two tacos and a drink for two bucks. So I do that. Now I have 498. Well, I repeat this process a few days in a row. And uh, comes time to pay for this uh, deal, and I only have $250 left. <laughs> so me panicking, I, I rely on, you know, calling around, and, uh, you know, the guy I originally set up, he's like, I'm not doing it for 250 He's like, you're going to have to call somebody else. So I'm calling around and I find this guy. He's like, well, it's kind of a limousine. I was like, that'll work. Just if you can get us there, man, we'll take it. He's like, but I got another event right after you. So I got to come dress for that deal. So I was like, okay, whatever. So that night shows up and all two, 10 of our friends get there. And, he, and uh, <laughs> when he shows up on the scene, <clears throat> I still haven't told my friends I've stolen their money. They think, they think they're getting something really good here because I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a good guy. I don't lie to other people at this point. And, uh, and, and what happens is this guy pulls up and he had chopped uh, two caddies in half, right? And he had elongated one 
and a huge weld was down the middle. I mean, just the worst welding job you've ever seen. And he was dressed in an orange jumpsuit like a prisoner because they were doing like a throwback party later that night and he was just taking us there, dropping us off and coming back. And everybody looked at me like it was a joke and they're like, is this, is this all right? I'm like, yeah, you know, I got hosed. You know, I tried to do the right thing. Here I am lying again. And uh, I, later that night, my friend's like, this, you stole the money, didn't you? I was like, yes, yes, I did. I'm a bad Christian. I'm going to hell and I'm crying and... I did a lot of things that were going to take me to hell that long. And uh, not like that. Get your head out of the gutter. Not like that. <laughs> Some of you need to keep it above here. I'm, I'm on the stage here. And here, here's what I was going with that. Okay. Not only is it for whoever has not sinned, but whoever wanted to sin couldn't participate in this stoning. And sometimes we think we're perfect. We think we're better than other people because we haven't done one of the major sins or one of the outward sins and stuff that people could see. Realize that you couldn't pick up a stone even if you had an inward sin, something that people could not see. We're going to continue in verse 8. Says this, and it says this. And again, he stood up and wrote on the ground. So Jesus goes back to writing, right? And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. They're smart. The wise men are like, I'm out. Jesus is on to something. Until only Jesus was left. Apparently Jesus didn't write anything about himself. Only Jesus is left and with a woman still sitting there, Jesus again straightened himself up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, go back and do whatever makes you happy. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, now go, go boo and follow your heart. Go be you. Do your thing, girl. Okay? Be yourself. He doesn't say that. He says, now go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. Now, that wasn't condemning or a judgmental statement. This was full of love, and you can feel the urgency. Go now. Don't wait. You're currently free. Go now and leave your life of sin. Be different. Leave the shame behind. Leave for a better life. Leave a life Okay, so that you have no more fear, there's no more darkness, live in the grace, don't be a hostage, be free in this. So why is it that when Jesus sets us free, he gives us a pardon, why are we so tempted by sin? Because sin is fun. Raise your hand if you know sinning can be fun. Those of you who did not raise your hand are doing it wrong. You're just doing it wrong. Hebrews calls sin a fleeting pleasure. It's a pleasure that will last for a moment. And it can be fun. It can be a lot of fun for a moment. If you're doing it right, it's a lot of fun. The temptation is, and the problem is this, is that sin promises satisfaction at the cost of our disobedience to God. 
It's the same way said this. Sometimes when you're talking about lust, promises what it can't deliver. Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of the disobedience to God. Now, I want, I want to get inside of the mind of this woman for a little bit. We have no idea what type of woman she is. And we don't know. Maybe she was just an evil woman who, who did this. You know, she was like, I just want to have sex day and night. This is my thing. Or maybe, maybe odds are she's not like that at all. Odds are she is not that type of purpose. She's probably decent. In that day, most people were God-fearing people, so she's probably a God-fearing woman. And I'm just imagining in kind of a modern-day concept, okay, or context so that this can help us out. Maybe she's got a husband, okay, and her husband's not been super attentive to her, right? He's kind of taken her for granted. Maybe he's been verbally abusive to her. And, and she's got a new job at, at a new office, and there's a nice guy over there. He's paying attention to her. He compliments her, okay? He likes her idea. He notices her hair change. And innocently enough, something starts. There's nothing wrong with what's happening. She, it's funny. He's thoughtful. She, he starts liking her comments on Instagram, and she finds herself thinking, about this man and it doesn't start off and she starts looking forward and she stays late at work and she starts talking to him about his marriage struggles a little bit and they connect on a deeper level and then she starts telling her girlfriends you know I think I made a mistake you know by the guy I married maybe maybe I should have married this guy instead and her girlfriends give her some really crappy advice yeah just follow your heart girl do whatever your heart tells you to do he accidentally brushes against her arm one day at work and she gets all the, you know, the heebie-jeebies inside of her. And one day she realizes her emotions are out of control and what is now wrong feels so right. And, and what my husband's missing, this guy can fulfill. He'd make me happy and Friends are just egging, who knows? And step by step, she ends up in a place where she's barely dressed. Now she's humiliated and ashamed. How did she get there? Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain to yourself. Why do we end up like this? Why does this happen to people? In our culture, our approach to life is a relativistic beliefs. There is no absolute truth. We believe in relativism. We believe that everything is relative. In other words, there's no absolute truth. You hear this all the time in today's culture. Well, what your truth isn't my truth. Your truth isn't my truth. We hear that all the time today. We hear people say like, do whatever you want. Do whatever, whatever you want, just do it. And then my, my, my third and least favorite of all of them is do what makes you happy. Just go and do what makes you happy. And here's a fundamental, fundamental problem with that. Without a belief in absolute truth, truth is defined by whatever makes you happy. If you don't have absolute truth, truth is defined by whatever makes you happy. And when the bottom line is if happiness becomes the standard by which you judge your actions... You know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Therefore, if it's wrong, but it makes me feel good, then it must be right. 
And a lot of us think this is the way the Bible works. If it makes me happy, it must be good. If it doesn't make me happy, it must be bad. How many of you know we live in a day and a time where this is very, very much celebrated? Therefore, since I feel good, it must be good. And if it doesn't make me happy, it must be bad. The problem is we think that happiness and holiness are at odds with each other. We often think this. Ryan, the band, if you guys will come join me. We think that happiness and holiness are at odds with each other. That we have to choose one or the other. Right? Like if you choose holiness, you are predestined for a miserable life. We honestly believe that we're going to be, you know, braided hair. Okay? We can never paint our face. We got to wear khaki pleated pants. Listen to Amy Grant 24-7. We got to go to everything the church does. We can't do anything. We we can't be happy. You know, we got to be stoic. We got to be buttoned up. We got to be perfect. That's if you choose holiness. If you choose holiness, God could never want you to be happy. God doesn't want happiness for you. Right? Can I tell you that God's not sitting in heaven hoping that his children are miserable? He's not in heaven going, oh man, I hope they have the crappiest time on earth. I hope they just, their life stinks. I hope they make every day just drudgery. Oh, here we go again. No, see, the understanding is this, that he is a loving heavenly father. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, it says this, if you then, though you are evil, that's us. That's us it's talking about. If you then, though you are evil, that's us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give gifts to you, to those who ask? You're looking for happiness in all the wrong places. You're looking for happiness. When you think you're, I want to be holy, but I don't want to be unhappy. You're looking for happiness in all the wrong places. You're looking for happiness in a lower place than what God has designed for you. Max Cato has an awesome illustration of this. If you were to take a fish and give him a little bit of, of different context of life, if we were to take a fish out of the ocean and put him on one of my favorite places in the world, just a beach in Florida, Would the fish be happy out of the water? How about if we made it rain on him? We just showered him with money. He's on the beach. He's in the perfect setting. Why isn't he happy? Man, I'm making it rain. He's got got thousands coming over. Boom, boom, boom. He's dancing. He's flopping around. We think he's dancing. We bring him a pina colada. We bring him his favorite drink, his Mai Tais. We let him check his Instagram. He's got bazillions of followers, tons of people are liking, yet he's not happening. We give him the biggest, you know, the newest issue of Playfish, you know, so he can just sit there and enjoy it. And you're like, what's happening? He's not, he's not, he's not enjoying himself. You're like, man, I've given you all the earthly goods. Why aren't you happy? Why don't you have what you have? Here's the thing. 
The fish will never be happy on the beach because he wasn't designed for the beach. You, I want to jump out of here like stage dive this morning. We are not human beings. We are spiritual beings in a human body. Therefore, you will not be happy with carnal things. They never, they never make you happy. When people are like, you know, intimacy, sex will make me happy. You know, sometimes people are like in a hurry to have sex their whole life. Young people get in a hurry to have sex their whole life. Okay, then they make the mistake. They either have sex prematurely, okay, when they shouldn't have, okay, and they turn out they're ashamed and guilt and all that stuff follows, or they get married before they should, they chose wrongly and end up in a marriage they shouldn't be in, and getting married to have sex is like buying a 747 for free peanuts. The math is not there. That was pretty good. You weren't made for earth. You were holy. You were set apart. If you ever find yourself wondering, maybe you should lower your expectations on earth and raise your expectations of heaven. Maybe you should lower your expectations of what you need on this earth and realize you don't need your new boat, your new car, your boyfriend, your vacation, the perfect hair, the perfect body. Maybe you should just be happy with the things that God gave you, knowing that he goes to prepare a place for you that is better than you could ever imagine and lower your expectations of what happiness looks like here, knowing that your heavenly father has a great gift planned for those who finish the race they've started. Holiness isn't mutually exclusive to happiness. Holiness is a pathway to true happiness. At the end of your life, I was talking to somebody the other day and I asked him so clearly, I said, have you ever hurt your body? And he's like, yes. I was like, have you ever grieved on the inside? And he's like, yes. I was like, which one hurt more? I was like, did the external body, the, the human part of you hurt more? Or did your soul, the part that grieved hurt more? And he's like, oh, definitely my soul hurt more. Why? Because that's the thing that we're trying to protect. Your human body might want a boat. Your heavenly body wants connection with God. And that's when it's at its happiest. You are the captain of your own thing. And here's what happened. Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience. And you don't want that in your life. Some of you are there right now. You can't stop overeating. You can't stop overspending. You can't stop smoking, you can't stop drinking. You're addicted to prescription drugs. You're stuck in a lust-filled porn world. You're in the wrong type of relationships. And God is faithful. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says this, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I loved old, early 90s video games. Loved them. Sega Genesis was a jam. They had this game called Contra on it. I don't know if you ever played it, but it was awesome. Two dudes blowing up the whole screen. 
And we'd be on there, da, 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 and then eventually you get to like level 30, level 40, whatever the, the thing on, it would just come over. And there was this one button you could push on your control that would wipe out the whole screen. Right? You could push that button and all the enemies on the entire screen would just be wiped out. When I would get overtaken, I'd be like, tell my friend, be like, hold, 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 wait for one more bad guy, boom, whole screen clear. Do you know that's what it's like to have that savior in your corner? That whenever there's a temptation that overcomes you, God always provides a way out for you. He's always got one last bomb. He's always willing to sit there and draw in the sin. He will never condone your behavior. Jesus will not jump in and say, that is okay what you're doing, but he's gonna write in the sin and make sure you don't get stoned in the middle of it, right? So he's gonna make sure that all the people who want you dead are gone so that he can tell you, go and live a life that is better. It's not fear what is bad, okay? That's not what Jesus is trying to tell you when it comes to happiness. He's not saying fear what is bad. He's saying long, for what is good. Long for what is good in your own heart. Every temptation is an invitation to depend on Jesus. Every temptation that you have is an invitation for you to depend on Jesus more. So I would push back and say, you know what? It's not about your happiness. It's about your soul being right with Jesus. And look, if somebody comes to throw a stone at you today based on what I told you today, start writing their own sins in the sand. This between you and Jesus and you knock it out with the only guy who's got the clear screen button. The difference between remorse and repentance in this, remorse is you feel bad because you got caught. Repentance is you understand what you did and you're turning away from that and going, I'm not gonna do that ever again. I'm choosing to walk away from that. I'm choosing not to live that way again. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me all over this place? If you'd say, Pastor Darrell, that's me this morning. I, I've just been letting little sins, little things that make me happy stand in the way of a real relationship with Jesus. I wanna wipe them out today. I wanna pray for you. Will you raise your hand all across this place right now? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Little sins getting in the way. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're not here to hurl stones today. We're here to, to be honest, to be, to be open. You can put your hands down. If you haven't raised your hand, but you know you need to, raise it right now so I can pray for you. Thank you, thank you. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person who raised their hand a moment ago. God, we're tired of these little things getting in the way of our eternal happiness, the things that bring on shame, guilt, things that are not of you, God. We want to pursue holiness and in turn make you happy, which in turn makes us happy. God, I pray that you give us the windows out, that we pray for repentance, that we walk in repentance, we walk in the light, and that way our spirit is happy, our joy is complete, and we are made whole in you. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can we give a hand to those who just prayed that prayer?